Hi, this is Ann Wilson, and you're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Hypebot, debunking the 60,000 songs uploaded to Spotify a day myth. From Music Business Worldwide, if your management plan is to try to get a record to blow up on TikTok, you don't have a plan. And from Billboard, how to manage a music star, advice from 33 masters. That's not audio masters, that's masters of managing, right there, just so you know. Yes, we've got so much to chat about, Jay. Let's do the voodoo that we do and jump into episode number 90 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Sit back and relax, everyone, because here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, it is so nice to see you on a uh, lovely Saturday. A lovely Saturday. Good to see you, too, my friend. Um... Before we get going here, how about that uh, that intro by one of the greatest singers ever in rock? And uh, I'm, I'm just such a huge fan of Hart and, uh, and Ann Wilson. Oh, it was lovely. And we had her sister Nancy, of course, earlier in our podcast history. So mm-hmm. we've had both of the sisters from Hart and... I know Anne has a new record out. Yeah, Fierce Bliss came out Friday. Uh, What an amazing record. Um, There's a song on there. She covers Queen's uh, Love of My Life, which is one of my all-time favorite songs, and she does it with Vince Gill. (laughs) Gosh. What a great voice, of course. Yeah. And, oh, what a a neat... And I I think I I told the story when I... um, when we interviewed Nancy uh, for a, a Your Morning Coffee special, um, I saw Hart on their first tour back in 1976 when I was a little, just I'd just gotten my driver's license. And uh, they opened up for Leonard Skinnerd and Jefferson Starship. And they blew both off the stage. And, and they yeah. were just so dynamic and so exciting. I remember just sitting there with my, my mouth open going, Oh my God! These, and and it was you know you forget that back in those days it was very rare to see a band almost almost unheard of to actually see a band uh, headed by women and yeah. at the time they were only in their early twenties yeah. I think so what an amazing singer she is oh my gosh and, one of the best and just commands the stage yeah I grew up in the, the Pacific stage. Northwest so I got to see Hart many times over the years and uh, you know Anne is such a an amazing singer and Nancy is an amazing guitarist and not for a girl, you know, she is an amazing guitarist. And back then there weren't a lot of, you know, uh, those types of situations like you mentioned, where you have two women fronting uh, a band like that and killing it. So check out, uh, Ann Wilson's new album, fierce bliss. Um, it's, uh, it's out now and it's amazing. 
Yeah, and uh, and both are on the road, and um, go see them live because you. It's like you said, she's such a, a, an amazing singer, and hasn't like it's again, and it's the rare singer that gets to the ages that we all get to that is able to maintain the range yeah. and able to ma- maintain the stamina of singing, and it's hard to be a singer when you're on the road. But she delivers it night after night and has yeah. not missed a, a step. Have I you mean, ever seen that video? Which is Hart playing at these uh, honors? I forget what it what the show was, but they were playing for the guys in Led Zeppelin, who the yes. remaining three members that are still alive, and they do Stairway to Heaven, which, I mean, that's such an iconic song, and they just nailed it, and they did it in front of Led Zeppelin, and there were some tears in those eyes. I mean, they just oh yeah, they were amazing. No, absolutely. And in fact, when I saw on that first tour, they would end with rock and roll. Yeah. The Led Zeppelin song, always. And they are, of course, both of them are huge Led Zeppelin fans. And so that must have been, I mean, that would be such pressure. (laughs) Can you imagine? No. No. I I always tell people. I can imagine it, but I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, I always tell people that they were my Led Zeppelin. I mean, I like Led Zeppelin. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I loved Heart. you know, would buy every album, go to every tour, you know, I would photograph them. I mean, I just, that band was so amazing. The musicianship, you know, there's some of those bands that you and I grew up with, whether it's, you know, Steely Dan or Toto or whoever that we didn't know when we were kids, how great uh, musicians they were. And right. you figure that out later when you start playing music or getting a little bit more, we just thought they had great songs, Right. And I think Heart is at that level where you listen to the musicianship on those albums, and it's it's world class. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. By the way, speaking of world class, the chap that I get to what? hang out with every week, none other. Yes, not just a pretty face, but Jay Gilbert, <laughs> of course, is the co-founder of the music and marketing music marketing and strategy company Label Logic. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment. Uh, and as you had heard, a chap from the Pacific Northwest. Yes, thank you very Born much. And, and uh, my uh, co-conspirator here, Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, and also really my go-to guy when it comes to music uh, documentaries. And before we hit record, we were talking about a couple of them. Um, One is this uh, John Waite documentary um, that's just been announced um, that's coming Mm -hmm. out. Um, It's called The Hard Way, and I'm really uh, looking forward to that. And then you were talking about one. Well, yeah, and I just had seen, I think you've seen it already. Um, it, it's under kind of a, a collection on HBO, I think, called Music Box or something? It's a yeah, bunch of something like that. Yeah, that. it is. Yeah, and, uh, but I saw the Alanis Morissette um, uh, Jagged Little Pill one, which is really interesting. And say, you know, tragically, there's, there's so, so much footage in there, uh, contemporary footage as well, of Taylor Hawkins, of course, who just passed yeah. away. Yeah. From the Foo Fighters. And I didn't realize that the Foo Fighters opened up a lot of those dates on that tour, that first tour. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh. Fascinating. And and I was in the Warner Music Group uh, when the, the Alanis record hit and, you know, watching that just explode. Massive. And seeing all of the, the... Yes. And, and the, the documentary really shows a lot of the of, of the kind of the background of how that ha- that happened and uh, how quickly it happened. Yeah. So in, um, and, that was Maverick. Life-changing. Maverick Records. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy that was running it is our friend Fred Krishal, who's a, yes. uh, a friend and mentor uh, to me. We just actually had coffee a couple of days ago. But I remember um, sitting in his car listening to that when that uh, was coming out and just stunned at the quality of those songs. And you just knew it was undeniable. Well, and what, what I did not know, though, is, you know, I knew that they recorded that at Glenn Ballard's house, who co-wrote and produced the record. And he, if I'm not mistaken, he recorded on Alesis ADATs, which, which at the time were these, much the first digital recorders, but they weren't like computer digital recorders. They used uh, VHS-S, VHS-S tape? What were those? Like, like not normal VHS tapes, but the, a, a different flavor of VHS tapes, mm-hmm. basically. And I think he had three of them slaved together. But in the documentary, he mentioned they only got together 20 times, and they literally wrote a song every time. 
and he talks about how um, they would they would he would just like he would just play a guitar part and she would just jump in with lyrics and he said I think they they wrote almost 20 songs and they it was only 20 20 meetings 20 20 get-togethers and he said but usually by the end of it you know they would it would be long sessions about eight hours but he said at the end of it they'd have a song wow and that's pretty remarkable it is quickly that 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 thing came together and you listen to her even now and she has such a unique delivery and it's just the whole thing she did and and again with so many women artists now um you forget how unique that was at the time. Again, we're talking about Heart. And, yeah. and you know, even even 20 years after Heart started, there were just not a ton of, of women successful artists like that. And she was fronting a male band. And, oh, it's a great document. Yeah, world, world class. Sure. You know, and, and I think we're seeing some of that on the countryside where there are so many talented country artists that are female that really aren't getting uh, their due on radio. And I know that's a big deal today, and hopefully we'll see some changes there. Um, I was just listening to the new Haley Witters uh, album, mm-hmm. and it's just so mm-hmm. fun. Um, it's, it's such a great record. But there are so many talented uh, female uh, country artists that just aren't getting their due. So as much progress as we've made, uh, there's certainly a lot more to go. Still more to go, indeed. Well, Jay, let's talk and uh, and honor our sponsors that help us put this together every week. Yeah, let's kick it off with Music Business Association. It's not next week, but it's the week after. Um, it's a four-day Music Biz 2022 conference. Uh, the, the agenda is up online if you want to take a look at it. It's taking place May 9th through 12th at the JW Marriott in Nashville, along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit, Next Gen Now, DSP Workshops, the Brand Summit, which will include presentations Presentations by Pepsi, MasterCard, and the NFL this time. You'll find timely new additions for 2022, including conversations on NFTs, gaming, immersive music experiences, catalog acquisitions, and much, much more. Just visit musicbiz.org, and I will see you there. All right. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And Bands in Town, over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. Artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks to the Music Business Association, HypeBot, and Bands in Town. Yes, Do sir. appreciate that. Thank you. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, Jay, if anything, the sub the subtitle of our episode this week is really on management. A lot of it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of stuff on so artist it... management uh, that we'll jump into. Um, but this first piece is not uh, about artist management, but it's something that I've been digging into for weeks. And you and I have talked about this ad nauseum, you know, that there's 60,000 tracks uploaded every day to Spotify. That's what, you know, we, we've seen this in print. Uh, in various places. And this piece on HypeBot, the headline is Debunking the 60,000 Songs Uploaded to Spotify a Day Myth uh, by Bill Wordy. And I I find this really fascinating. Um, I'll let you kick it off. I have a couple of uh, stats that I'll, I'll color it with. Yeah. So Bill, by the way, is a former Billboard editorial director and director of the Bandier Program for Music and Entertainment Industries of the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. So, and we we have talked about this a ton. And, um, you know, it's, (laughs) well, uh, as he says, you know, the number sort of is nonsensical. He said, this isn't all that complicated. So today on its website, Spotify says it has 82 million tracks, including more than 3.6 million podcast titles. Meanwhile, in November of 2020, Spotify was at the 70 million tracks. So he said, even if we include podcasts as tracks, which is not really 
the way of thinking <laughs> right. about it. Even if you do, yeah. and omit the starting month, that means that Spotify grew its catalog by 12 million tracks in 17 months. That's 706,000 tracks per month. And he says, at best, that comes out to be about 23,000 tracks uploaded a day, which is not... I mean, it's still... It, crap ton of tracks but it's not 60,000 and so you know again sometimes it's kind of simple math yeah and well I think it's also what is a track um right is it a unique song or is it a version of a song so for example Mm -hmm. um we talked about a little bit last week that each track each individual track has an ISRC code Right. And ISRC, ISRC stands for International Standard Recording Code. So a unique identifier. And this is for audio and video. And this is the recording, not the composition. We can cover that another time. So these are these master recordings. So if you have eight versions of a song, different remixes, different edits, you know, a, a video, those mm-hmm. are all unique ISRCs. And I think where this kind of went astray is people were looking at how many ISRCs were uploaded, not how many individual tracks. So I did a little investigating and found out that there were in, in 2021, there were 28,920,000 ISRCs uploaded. Okay, that equates to 79,232 per day. You know, so I think that a year or two ago when Music Business Worldwide and some of these other places were saying 60,000 tracks are uploaded a day, I think that was ISRCs, not individual yeah. tracks. So uh, Bill Wordy is absolutely correct. That number is a lot lower. So um, the people I talk to believe that that 60,000 you know, number has just been bantied around you know, uh, because once, you know, let's not let facts get in the way of a good story, right? It may have been accurate, you know, when <laughs> exactly. when Music Business Worldwide uh, posted it, I think it was February of 2021. Um, but I have a friend who's quote unquote close to the source. And he says that Bill's number is very close, but the actual number is a little bit higher than that. Mm-hmm. So again, you're comparing apples to chainsaws. You know, it's are there these different versions or are these unique songs? And so, yeah, whatever it is, let's say that, you know, he's saying it's 23,000. I've got people who are saying it's, yeah, it's probably between 25 and 30,000, but that doesn't matter. The point is there's a lot of music being uploaded every single day to the DSPs. And then that's part one. Part two is there's SoundCloud, which is even more. If you think there's Mm -hmm. 70 or 80 million tracks on most of the DSPs, and as we've reported, it's like 80% the same uh, repertoire, SoundCloud's like closing in on 250 million. And because the barrier to entry is so low, you and I could record something on our iPad today and upload it uh, right away, and, and a lot of people do. Not to say that that's all of the music that's on SoundCloud. There's legit great music on SoundCloud, but it's the barrier to entry is a lot lower. Right, exactly. He does say at the end, he says, now see, don't all of you artists struggling to break through feel so much better? I just made it almost three times easier for you. <laughs> Me, of course, it's closer to twenty or 30,000 than 60,000 a day. So yeah. it's still a gigantic amount of, of material that gets uploaded. And as you and I have said many, many times, and so much of it never gets heard. Yeah. Not a single play. Yeah. Remember that site we always joke about? It's called Forgotify. And (laughs) if you go there, they have YouTube too, I think. It'll play you something that's never been played once. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got a lot to pull from because it's, yeah. And again, it's it's great times and it's challenging times. Um, You know, the, when we were starting out playing music, you know, the only real way you could record is to go into a recording studio. And then slowly, all of these, uh, you know, cassette recorders, multi-track cassette recorders, yeah. and inexpensive things, and then digital recording came out. Pro Tools, now, exactly. And it's it's all of the tools are. I mean, you buy an Apple computer, it comes with GarageBand, and it comes yeah. with video editing software. So, you know, the tools are so ridiculously inexpensive, yeah. and anybody can do it. I have and a client everybody who recorded does. their new album basically at home, and they had it professionally you know mixed and mastered um, Mm -hmm. because that's definitely a skill set but it sounds amazing you can do these things at home 
I'm not against studios. I still love going into recording studios and hearing the magic. Um, but that, again, that barrier to entry is way lower now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. All right. So the 60,000 number, bit of a myth, but uh, yeah, maybe but around it's still half a big that. number. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's jump into the next one as we kind of put our music management hat yeah. on. And this is a, a, boy, this is a lengthy article, really interesting, from Dave Roberts over at Music Business Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your management plan is to try and get a record to blow up on TikTok, <laughs> you don't have a plan. <laughs> And this is um, th- this is uh, music business worldwide has a greatest managers series, so good. and and they they did so many in this particular article. They've got Jonathan Daniel, who's the founder of Crush Management, uh, who worked a ton of stuff, and it's it really fascinating and talking about how music management has changed so dramatically. But also not right, and you'll still see so many comments and talk ab- about touring live yeah. performing and how that still is such a bread and butter element absolutely but there is so much more um but also you know it's 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 what's new is old again and and yeah amazing article and uh i'll let you start it well, and we'll jump into it I, i'm a huge fan of jonathan daniel um i i've followed his career for a long time you know he was in this really cool band called candy back in the day with uh, my buddy kyle that. vincent and I think Gilby Clark was in that band and I was working at tower records and I just saw this record in the bin, you know, with these guys looking all badass, you know, with the statue of Liberty. And I'm like, I think I need to listen to this. You know, sometimes you can just tell, right. Uh And it was Mm -hmm. super melodic, you know, rock pop. And later he was in this band called electric angels after candy broke up. And I've been kind of following his career, you know, in, in management, he was kind enough to do a coffee talk. And if you don't know what that is in, in your morning coffee, the newsletter, every once in a while, I'll reach out to some influential, it's easy for you to say person and uh, ask them, you know, like what, what's good coming across your desk these days? You know, what was your first concert? You know, those kinds of things. I just find that stuff really interesting. And he was kind enough to, uh, to do that for us. But the thing I like about Jonathan and and what he's built at Crush is that even though this new music business managers are taking on so much more uh, than they used to take on, and we'll cover that in the next piece, he's just he's basically saying that uh, we always did it that way, right? You know, um, yeah. It says that you know one of the common themes and commonly accepted truisms on the modern music industry's evolutionary path is the shift in roles and responsibilities between record label and manager. And man, is that true? We could talk for hours about that. You know, the generally accepted bottom line is that in terms of A and R, marketing, PR, promo, etc., manage managers have taken on more heavy lifting in recent years they'll often cite an increase in workload and the widening of remit quote we do a lot of what labels used to do that's the the typical response and i hear that all the time but it says here not crush founder jonathan daniel however reflecting on what's changed for him in the 20 years since he launched the company alongside uh, bob mclinn dan daniel simply says "Eh, not much has changed we set up the business from day one to control everything. And that meant doing everything. That's how we do it now. And that's how we did it then. It's more like the music business came around to our way of thinking. Interesting. Interesting. And they ask him, what do you think has been the biggest change in artist management over the last 20 years? He says the broad strokes of management, I think, are still the same. Make great records, have a great strategy, help inspire artists, and just figure out how to get things through. Like, where's the side door? I love that line. Where's <laughs> the side door? If your management, and then enhance the, the title of the article, he says, if your management plan right now is to try to get your record to blow up on TikTok, then you don't have a plan. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, again, broad strokes, it is the same. You're the air traffic controller, right? But like you said, Jay, you know, there, there's, and we both worked in labels and, and I was, we were both product managers at different times. And that's, you know, you were the air traffic controller for that artist, typically on the, on the, on the label side. Yeah. So you worked in conjunction with management, right. but, but, you know, yeah, the label thing has changed so dramatically and that has just put more emphasis and more pressure in many ways on, on artist management to take that over and to kind of be that sole air traffic controller and make sure 
the planes don't crash. Yeah, there's another article we're not going to dig into, but um, in your morning coffee this week, it was from Billboard, and the headline was, should today's artist managers get more than 20%? And I sent that to a couple of my friends that are um, experienced and successful artist managers and kind of heard back from both that it's a different world now. The roles and responsibilities of a manager, and again, we'll get into this in the minutia in the next article, but they've changed so much. And I don't know if we mentioned that Jonathan Daniel, you know, he's the founder of Crush Management. That's the home of Fallout Boy, Weezer, Green Day, Miley Cyrus, Lord, Sia. I mean, dear Lord. Baby bands is what you're saying. <laughs> a lot of baby bands. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I loved about this, and you know, I, I want to reference back to the um, Alanis Morissette documentary that I just caught, um, and you saw how quickly she happened. And she was all of 20 or 21 when that happened. And he's, and they say in here, uh, in one tangential change from the past to, uh, to, to now a bigger priority on artists is, um, I'm sorry, it's kind of a weird written thing, but talking about artists' mental health and well-being. Uh, he said yes. 100%, so many artists get shot out of a cannon, and not everyone is built for that. He's talking about Miley Cyrus here. He says, Miley, she's built to compete. She's like an Olympic athlete in that regard. It's incredible how hard she can go. Whereas with other artists, the, the pressure's too much. You have to treat everyone as an individual and tailor everything around them with their best interests at heart in every way. And so, you know, we it's, of course, mental health and, and things like that are so much more on on our uh, on awareness plate these yeah. days. But um, And I remember seeing a, uh, a documentary on Deep Purple. And, you know, if you, if you know about Deep Purple, they've had so many different incarnations of that band. But right. the classic... The classic format or the classic uh, group that made "Smoke on the Water" and all those big hits <clears throat> at the time, the 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 late John Lord, the keyboard player, was saying, if their management had been paying attention, because they just they just beat them into submission, you know, tour, 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 record, record, record. And he said, if if any manager would have had their their act together, they would have recognized that had they just let us go away for like two months in between some of that madness, that that formation of the group would have stayed together much longer, the most successful formation of that band. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the the whole notion of mental health, and I think it's still in the music business, the whole notion is we're happening now. We have to, we don't want to stop the train. And um, the reality is sometimes you do have to stop the train. Otherwise, you know, for, for mental health and just for, for just, mental health reasons yeah. you know you can't keep you can't keep the pedal to the floor right. intensely for an, for extended periods of time yeah, they, it just doesn't they, work they say that it's an always on music industry and that that can pose some dangers um, uh, he talks about uh, Sia in here and things that she's yeah. uh, adversity she's overcome uh, everybody has their own path and everybody responds differently and he speaks to that in here um, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was he said, we set up the business from day one to control everything. And that meant yeah. doing everything, right? And I think that's that's really important. He says, I can imagine for a lot of managers, it's really hard today if they were used to relying on the label to do everything. So much of what's going on with artist management today, and I'm fairly close to it because a majority of my clients are artist managers, um, and I hear what they're dealing with is that the, the roles and responsibilities have changed so much between uh, you know, label, management, and even the artist uh, to a certain level. And it's challenging for artist management, uh, well, especially ones that have been doing it for a long time. I'm not talking about Jonathan. He's the exception to this rule. But I have worked with a couple of managers who are, I wouldn't say one-trick pony, but their superpower is touring. They know touring mm -hmm. inside and out, you know, uh, they know the capacity of the rooms, how to get in and out, you know, how to make sure that it's monetized properly. And the new manager has to look at all sorts of things besides sales, streams, downloads and touring. They have to look at things like sync um, and experiences and loops and beats and I mean, just. Uh, and platforms that they had never had to think about before. I mean, even just a couple of years ago, we weren't really talking about Roblox or TikTok or Peloton mm -hmm. and or, or Web3 and some of these things. So 
it's an evolving, changing world. And I think the way that Jonathan and his co- company is set up is that they're not relying on somebody else. They're making that the responsibility. So they're kind of like the label, the manager, the therapist, you know, all wrapped in all one. things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, you and I have talked a lot about back in the day from the, in our day from the label side, how it was fairly easy to templatize most of the activities and things you needed to do. It wasn't exactly like a, a super, you know, firm template, but by and large, <clears throat> there just weren't that many different things that you can do. And it's sort of the same. It's not sort of, it really is the same thing in management, you know, in, in, you know, you go back a generation and it was fairly, you know, there were, there were easily identifiable profit centers and the, the way you do business was, was much simpler in those days than it is now. And yeah. like you said, and there's so many ways to, if, you know, if you're managing an artist's, an artist, um, you know, there's so many ways that artists can get themselves into trouble now as well, you know, and if you can, you can have all the great plants in the world, but, you know, an artist can upload, they can tweet, they can do all kinds of things that can get them in trouble. And, um, yeah. you know, so you, you really have to be a cat wrangler to be a manager. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not for, it, for everyone. There's a famous quote from <laughs> no, Mike Tyson uh, that I refer to often. He says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, the question that was posed to Jonathan was, did you always set out to create a management company rather than just be a manager? And he laughed and said, well, I called the company crush because it sounded big, you know, but I, I don't think I had planned it out that much. Bob and I were, weren't in it for the money. Our primary goal wasn't how can I be rich? It was how can we keep having hits and how do we sustain our artist careers? So when we got that first flush of money, we put it back into the company, not into our pockets. The other thing we realized was that we were more in control. And the more we were in control of, the better. And, and the better we could do our jobs, the better we could help the artists. So we invested in people we needed, and I think that's important. We mm-hmm. uh, like marketing people, radio people. Um, that whole principle really helped the company and allowed us to grow into who we became. And that's kind of a running theme that I'm seeing, and we'll cover it you know, on these 33 managers that we're going to talk about in the next piece. That's kind of this theme that people are realizing, look, I have expertise in these areas. I don't have expertise in, let's say, uh, being a publicist or sync licensing or whatever it is. Let's hire somebody and surround ourselves with people who are experts in in that area and not try to do everything ourselves. You know, we we use the uh, comparison, you know, when you go to have eye surgery, you want that doctor to have done 5,000 of those operations, not five. Without a doubt, um, but you know what's again, and and where these guys are both coming from, um, you know, and and their their experiences. They they asked at the end, what would be your advice to a young manager starting out? And they said, I don't know about advice, but what I would tell them is that I have if that if I have a great song, my job is easy. If I have a good song. My job is impossible. There's too much good music in the world. Aim for great. But again, you're talking about songs. You know, yeah. it's, when you get to the to the to the core Absolutely. of what we're of what we're looking for and listening for, it's songs and it's stuff that makes you smile. It's stuff that makes you cry. Yeah. It's stuff that just touches you and moves you. And that's the beginning. And yes, it's changed after that. But boy, you're still looking for that song. And these guys, you know, they, you know, you talk about guys that grew up in bands and were signed to labels and stuff like that. And they, they, they still are looking for that song. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the amen. bottom line. And sometimes people forget that. Um, that's why you and I are so pro songwriter. That's why we interviewed Merc Mercuriatus recently. Um, without the song, we don't have a business. And it's all about the song. There's a great documentary. And I know we've mentioned this before, but it, it bears repeating. I think it's on Amazon. Um, anyway, it's called It All Begins With a Song, and it shows the ecosystem of the Nashville songwriters. Um, do yourself a favor and watch that documentary. It is, um, it's really amazing. Um, another quote that he has in here, which I highlighted because I, I think it's really important. He says, basically, if you can avoid the sophomore slump, you can do anything you want. And if you can't, mm. you probably won't have a career. I thought that was pretty profound, and we're seeing it, you know, play out uh, 
all the time. They asked Jonathan, like, what's been the proudest moment of your career so far? And he said, wow, that's hard. You know, the, the first was Fallout Boy, you know, at a sold-out arena in Buffalo with all those kids singing along. This was kind of before they were mainstream, and there were 15,000 people singing every word. I thought, man, this little band is doing it for all the other little bands who never got past the basement. And, and there have been so many others since then. He said, like Sia, you know, when she made the Chandelier video, I called her and mm-hmm. she said, this is the best thing I've ever done. I said, the best video? She said, no, the best thing ever. And then she sent it to me, and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to change everything. And it did. I'll give you goosebumps. Yeah, you, oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and we all know it when you hear it. You know, it's like, oh, my God. <clears throat> and you want to hear it again and again and again and again and again. And so, uh, oh, very cool article. Really interesting yeah. and, and interesting guy. And, again, and, you know, he's... He he was very practical, as he said at the beginning of the thing. He said when he when his bands weren't breaking and happening, even though he was signed, he said, I think he said I was on, on the wrong side of thirty five, and I decided <laughs> what do I need to do? You the know, wrong side, and, and I am definitely a bit on the wrong side of thirty five. So I share that sentiment. Yeah. And uh, really interesting article. Yeah, certainly. Uh, one last thing before we jump watching. to the next one, um, they mentioned his business partner Bob McLean. He played in a band called uh, Step Kings. So I think oh, yeah. there's something important when you have people who are running companies for musicians that actually have suited up, you know, yeah. they've, they've gone to radio stations, you know, they've been in a van, they've done the things. And I think you see life uh, for your clients a lot differently uh, than most, by the way, his business partner, Bob McLean is going to be a part of this music business worldwide's greatest manager series next week. So we'll take a look at that okay. too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our last story. And this is a biggie. Uh, This is from Billboard. It's How to Manage a Music Star, Advice from 33 Masters. (laughs) This is from Lindsay Havens. And, um, oh boy, it, it is a... Really, and they essentially asked the same questions to yeah. lots of men. And and this was a, a this is a really good um, uh, sort of a a um, uh, overview from uh, clearly. There's a lot of these uh, managers worldwide managers, not just yes. U.S. So so ex-U.S. as well. So a lot of artists you may not recognize. Certainly, right. we didn't recognize some of them. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and you know, it's uh, as we said in many ways. Everything has changed, and in some ways, nothing has changed. Right, right. This was my favorite article this week, and I just really enjoyed reading it because these are different managers. There's like 33 different managers, and some of them have jam bands. Some of them EDM or country or developing or whatever. So they're coming at it at a little bit different angle, but there are some common themes. You know, the, the, question, the same questions, as you mentioned, are asked of each one of these managers. What part of the industry mm-hmm. should young managers know more about and study up on? That's number one. And then number two, you know, what's the smartest decision you made as a manager that helped one of your artists level up? And you can tell some some of these managers really were thoughtful and got into it. Some of them just kind of did a, a rote answer, but most of them were really compelling and there is a theme in what they're telling these young managers they should uh, look out for. Yeah, 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 yeah. So shall we jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, all right. Uh, so, so one of the things that that uh, Bernie Cahill, who's over at uh, Activist Artist Management, so they've got Dwight Yoakam, Bob Weir, and Grateful Dead, Lumineers, a bunch of bands that are great, and and they say, you know, what part of the industry again should young managers know more about, study up on? And he says, music publishing, licensing, IP, and digital rights. Yeah. And, you know, some of that stuff is 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 old school music business stuff again. And you know, you and I have talked many many times about um, the, the the music publishing world and the recorded music world being these, especially at the time, very different universes. Yep. Not and anymore. Often, not anymore. Not anymore. So no, that's everybody knows important. what's going on there now. And then the second question, you know, the what's the smartest decision you've made it, you know, as a manager? He said at Activist, we created a true team approach that includes in-house experts that can advise on everything from tour marketing to nonprofits to Asian market expansion. And we just talked about that in the the last piece. Surround yourself with smart people. Don't try to do everything that's yourself. Right. 
And again, and you are essentially acting as a label. You know, you are taking everything in under your under your control. And so that's again, and 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 looking at it, and that's the another thing that has changed. I think since since our early days in the business is the awareness and the and the global size of markets outside the U.S. Oh yeah, it's and how, it's how a, important those. Yeah, are. we look at it globally now more than ever. The next one is Andrew Gertler from AG Artists, which is him. And he has one client, Sean Mendez, and he talks about that. Yeah. And when they asked what part of the industry should young managers know more about, he said, as old school as it sounds, I've always been a proponent that uh, foundationally, every manager should know the insides and outs of putting a tour on the road to the deepest possible degree. So we talk yeah. about that a lot, how touring is so important to these managers. Well, and he's, you know, they asked him about the smartest decision he had made as a manager. And he said, I think my decision from the beginning of Sean's career to not pick up other clients and focus all of my energy into ensuring he achieved his goals was the smartest decision I ever made. Wow. So, which is interesting, you know, you talk, we, you know, we talk about Crush in the last article and, and now they've got a ton of different artists. Right. And, and yet, and then here's someone saying, yeah, at least for me and this artist, it's just the two of us, right. you know. I and, and that's an interesting. Yeah, take it is. Like it's not that, for everyone. That, that, that working right? out. Not for there everyone, are. But I you can know, see we talk about Crush. There are even larger companies like Red Light um, that have hundreds of managers, hundreds of clients. Um, but yeah, I think that's really, really important to to note. Um, the next one is Brandon Farmer. Um, from Brandon Farmer Management. You know, what part of the industry should young managers know more about? He says, I believe young managers need to know more about how to work and create results under pressure, especially when the things don't go as planned. There's that insert Mike Tyson quote. Uh, you yeah. have to be a quick thinker to figure out how to resolve unforeseen issues. And I think that's really important because when I'm out on the road with bands, I see this all the time. Shit breaks. You know, you need to have two yep. of everything on the road. You need to have a plan for everything. And all the bands that I work with, you know, the, if something breaks, they've got a backup and then they move to it and we just move on. The show must go on. But if something can go wrong, it will go wrong and you need to plan mm -hmm. on it going wrong. He also mentioned when they asked him about the most exciting thing um, happening in management, he said, I think some of the most exciting things happening in management right now is that artists are trusting their managers more and the relationship between artists and managers has evolved to business partners. Starting new ventures together, such as labels, festivals, clothing lines, etc., rather than just traditional artist and employee manager model, which is interesting. And yeah, and of course, that is one of the main challenges and and exciting parts of of management these days is all of these new opportunities. And you know, again, talking about clothing lines and and all of the other opportunities that are out there for artists. Yeah. Again, lots of things to wrangle if you are a manager. A lot more and understanding yeah. all of those areas. Yeah. And um. Yeah. And, but yeah, well, it, it's it's exciting and it's challenging. Yeah, that is uh, Brandon Farmer again. And then the last thing I'll say on kind of Brandon's thing here, which I thought was really important, is when they asked about his smartest decision, he said, "Let the artist be in control. Our job is to advise and not dictate them." We as managers must trust our artist's vision and make that vision as big as possible. And that's kind of a running theme as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam Alpert, who's over at Disruptor Records and Management, and have a number of artists, including chain the Chainsmokers. Yeah, yeah they, they, they were uh, asking, again, you know, you kind of talk about um, uh, some, some, some of the things changing, but some of the things being the same. And he said, they said, what's the smartest decision you made as a manager that helped one of your artists level up in general, encouraging all of our artists to tour as much as possible and make fans in real life and not just on the internet. Ooh. Again, taking it to the people, having that, that live show together yes. and getting out there and just grinding it out. And that's, that's as old as the music business. Yes, but here there's platforms now that they didn't have back in the day, like Correct. TikTok, for yes. example. And I think that's what he's referring to. In some way, it's the easiest platform to gain video views, but the most difficult to gain real engagement, put butts in the seats, yeah. sell merch, that sort of thing. The next one is Eric Dewar's. Um, and they asked him about you know what young managers should know more about. And he said, without a doubt, all digital platforms. That's where we live now. So that's, this is in contrast to kind of the, the last one we just mentioned. He says, I'm not only talking about streaming, but also NFTs and other opportunities that are available. 
and which we need to be familiar with as managers. So, you know, that's why I love going through all of these things is one is saying, look, you got to put butts in the seats and you got to have that, you know, shake some hands, kiss some babies, that sort of thing. You got to really press the flesh. And the other one is like, well, you really need to focus on some of these digital things. And I think the truth kind of lies somewhere in the middle of all of this, but I think it's all sound advice. Yeah. And what Eric also said, he says, you know, talked about the ability to develop an artist in multiple areas from concerts and songs to NFTs, virtual reality, the metaverse and the reach we can have thanks to technology. Also coming out of a pandemic and being able to do live events again, of course, very exciting. But, you know, so again, we're talking about all of these things that as a manager, you have to see from the 10,000 foot level and know which chess pieces right. to engage and, and to and to um you know, to move around the, the, the chessboard. Yeah. And it's a lot. It is I mean, a lot. It's really a lot. You know, Austin Rosen, uh, who manages Post Malone, among others, you know, when, when they asked him about, you know, what's the smartest decision, he said, creating a company that is driven by collaboration between artists, producers, and songwriters. And, yeah. man, uh, that's where the magic happens, especially today. You know, we talked about there's, you know, the average number of co-writes in the top 100 last time we checked was north of four and a half, you know, and we talk about songwriting all the time. Merck mentioned it, how, you know, there hasn't been an album, I think, since 2014 that topped the charts that, you know, didn't have multiple co-writers. And so, yep. you know, the days of Lennon McCartney or just, you know, Bob Dylan writing his own stuff, uh, those are kind of over. It's an anomaly. There's still people out there doing it, but as far as the hit machines, you know, it's all about collaboration. Well, and then there's, you know, there are, it's also sort of the micro specialty in songwriting. You've got people who, who specialize in hooks or who specialize in choruses. And, and, you know, you've got all of these different folks that come in to collaborate together. And yeah, that is certainly a new thing or, or it's that, that really super specialty areas. It's, you see it everywhere. And that's really a big change. And, and even, even established songwriters. I can remember when, I remember when Aerosmith started using, because they are early Aerosmith was just basically Steven Tyler and Joe Perry writing the songs together. And then if slowly they evolved to bring in outside writers. And of course, they had enormous success with that strategy. And that, of course, is now pretty much business as usual. And so managing all of those things, again, is really challenging. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah um, let me see. A, a lot to, of these uh, are, you know, have some sorry. similarities about, you know, building a team and, and which is really sound advice. Um, Virginia uh, Bonetta, uh, who manages yeah, yeah. Thomas Rhett, um, had some really interesting insights, you know, when asked about, you know, what uh, young managers should know more about. She said the human part, it's still and always will be a business of relationships. And that was drilled into my head. You know, when I first started working at Universal, I had an executive tell me, you know, this is this business is built on relationships and follow through. And I never forgot that. And I think it's it's really important. And then when they asked about the smartest decision she'd made as a manager, she said, I was once told by a legendary manager to quote, uh, not sign a bunch of talent, focus on one artist you think you can break best advice I ever got. And we talked about that with another manager just a moment ago. So it's, it's super interesting how there's some common themes with these managers. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, completely different takes. You know, you've got crush management who managing so many people and you've got a couple of other managers who say, listen, I just need one. And I, I mean, again, to, and to have all those artists, that, that, which means you just have a much bigger organization, of course. And so, which, which is great for some people. Um, yeah. But managing people and managing artists is all consuming. And boy, it's, I'm not sure where I'd fit in. It's in not a, camps. it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. I've seen it up That's close right. and personal for a long time. And the ones that are really good at it, um, they they wear multiple hats. You know, they're that uh, that sh that therapist, you know, they're that uh, booking agent, you know, they're um, they, they they know all different aspects of the the industry. The next one is yeah, Danny Robson. You know, and, you know, when they asked about what young managers should know more about, he said, you know, I'm always fascinated uh, when learning about an artist's fans. And I think this is really important. He says, whether through observation, experience or data, I think the most valuable thing a manager can do is dive into the world of the artist's fans. And I think that's spot on. I mean, we always say, mm -hmm. find your tribe. Who is your audience? Who would you like your audience to be? You know, who, what artists should you be collaborating with? 
to be a part of that uh, audience. Yeah. And, and, you know, Seth Godin put it best, you know, people like us do things like this, you know, find your tribe. Yeah. Well, and, and he, as Danny mentioned in this, he, you know, talking about data, and that is another thing that has always been your specialty, certainly not mine. Um, but, you know, if, if you're a manager now, you have so much data. At it's your overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And, and how to parse that data and how to and what's actionable, what's not actionable, what's worth Spot focusing on. on, what's yeah. yeah, exactly. Boy, that that makes that gives me a headache just thinking about all of that as being a manager these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Really, that right there just makes the management job so overwhelming now in a way that it wasn't in earlier incarnations yeah. and in earlier generations. Yeah, there's a, a manager um, here, Rebecca Leone, and. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of insights that I thought were interesting from, from what she said. You know, when they asked what young managers should know more about, she said the basics, touring, contracts, publishing is huge, you know, giving all the collaborations that are happening. The metaverse is something that people will have to get familiar with, you know. Um, but when they asked her what the smartest decision she'd ever made as a manager, mm-hmm. she said, my yeah. number one thing for every artist is the power of no. And I have heard that from artist management that – it's sometimes it's best to say, no, this is not right. We're not going to do this. Yeah. Right. And it's super hard to say. No yeah. Especially when there's money involved. So many, that's right. And you've got so many opportunities and um, especially once they get to a certain level, you've just got people coming at them every day, every hour with things that they could do or things that, you know, uh, art art requests and yeah and then you've got artists that also want to do everything and sometimes you have to tell the artist uh no that's not a good idea yeah and ooh, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have but as you and i know from working with artists over the years sometimes artists are their worst enemy and and you know they want to do everything or they want to focus on something they really shouldn't be focusing on and how do you you know how do you it's like being a parent you know how do you how do you manage that yeah. ego and yet, you know, try to try to kind of keep them on track. I think um, it's a collaboration with, and be. a trust. Mm-hmm. The 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 good ones, the good managers with their artists. There there's a it's almost like family. They can be brutally honest with each other. There's a trust there, um, and they can guide them with it, their experience, their knowledge base, and give them good advice. But you're right. Sometimes an artist is their own worst enemy. But if they do have a, a solid manager, they can you know, keep on the right track. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at this one from Dre London, who's London Entertainment, amongst others, Post Malone. Uh, And no surprise here, again, talking about what's new and what's not new, uh, what part of the industry should young managers know more about? And he said, contracts. Read your contracts. (laughs) Publishing, performances, different avenues of revenue, the type of money you make from a brand ambassador deal. Learn about sync. Solid advice. But contracts. Yeah. Solid advice. And again, you know, are any of us great at contracts? And, you know, it means you also have to have a great legal team on you, or at least a legal... You do, uh, but you've looked at contracts, and I've looked at contracts, and I think it gets easier over time because you, you get yes. to see what is kind of boilerplate stuff. Exactly. And what is... It's like copy and paste. You know, this is this means this. And after a while, you start kind of understanding what it says and what it protects. And, and the other thing um, from this manager, Dre London, that you were just talking about, you know, as far as, you know, what's the most exciting thing or development happening in management right now? Dre said, there's a lot more flexibility for managers to chart an artist's destiny because the fourth wall has been removed. And I thought this was really interesting. The fans now decide, and once they do, there's a direct connection between the artist and their base. And you and I have talked about this, you know, back when we were growing up, how cool would it have been to be able to connect with Ann Wilson or Queen? Mm-hmm. And now uh, you can via socials, via some of these other platforms, via Patreon, via crowdfunding, whatever. There's so many ways that you can actually have access to your favorite artist. Right. Uh, I'm going to completely uh, mispronounce this person's name. It's Tunde Balagun. I think that's I right. Think. 
Yeah, I think that's what it is. And, and clearly uh, an international manager, not outside of the U.S., I think. But kind of ta- to our point earlier, they asked him what, what, uh, what young managers should, uh, should know more about. And he says, how to move and promote their artists in international markets besides their home market. And, and again, that is such great. As, as everything has opened up so much more, you never know which markets are going to are gonna hit. More than and ever. you need to be ready to jump. Exactly. Yeah. And it may not be here. You know, you have to be aware that you may be, it may be in the Benelux countries. It may be in Spain. It may be somewhere else. And again, we, we are all more comfortable with what we know. And so for a manager, that means you have to be willing to really kind of step outside your box and go, okay, I don't know anything about Spain, but I'm going to learn it. Right. And I'm going to be prepared because something is happening in Spain right now with the record that we're, we're working Right. And, and you so, know something's happening in Spain because all of these great data right. platforms and Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists, Amazon for artists, YouTube analytics, there's so many places where you can see, wow, this, this is reacting in this area. Maybe I should tour there. Maybe I should put some targeted online advertising there. Maybe I need to focus a little bit more there. They talked with Chris Cappy. Um, who manages clients like Luke Combs and Haley Witters, who I talked about earlier. I'm a huge fan of, you know, and, you know, he talks about the importance of getting to know the fans, getting to know the tribe. But what I thought was interesting was, you know, when they asked what's the most exciting thing or development, you know, that's happening right now for management, he said the days of end caps and distribution deals to get your music out there are done. Having the access to get it right to fans' ears with a couple of mouse clicks, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, you know, in in our early days in the business, it took a while for you to even find out what was going on out there in the field. Now you're you 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 have immediate data that's telling you, hey, it's happening here, it's happening here, and that can be good and bad because <laughs> you know, again, it's it's like squirrel. You know, yeah. you, I'm looking over here, over here, here, and and it's like you know, it's it's you really have to uh, take in the data, but also process it and. I think that's really, really important. Act accordingly. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I had a manager asking me about data the other day, and I said, "Yeah, this is this is all interesting and important, but you can't just rely on the data, right? Mm-hmm. You have to rely on your knowledge and experience, and frankly, you have to go with your gut sometimes too. Use that data as a guide, you know. But you can't just rely on the data. I always refer to that A and R. Uh, rep that I was talking to when I asked him how you, you know, how do you sign new artists today? You know, is it through TikTok? Are you looking at that? Are you looking at local radio stations to see what's going on? He says, yeah, I look at that stuff sometimes, but really I look for that lineup around the block to see him play. And I think that's, you may not see some of that in the data. Um, Just a a couple more here really quick. You know, I thought Clarence Spaulding uh, from Maverick, you know, who does uh, some country things like Jason Aldean, Darius Rucker, Reba McIntyre, Brooks and Dunn. Holy cow. I mean, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they asked about, you know, what should young managers know? And he said, I advise my young managers to learn the road. It's where most acts make a majority of their income, but it's also where huge amounts of monies are invested. Everything from set design, yeah. lighting, sound, rigging, pyro. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, we talked about the importance of live performances and how that is such a driver. But again, there's so many things to know about that. And like you said, you know, some of the best managers know all of that stuff because that's been around for a long time. Has it changed? It sure has changed. There's a lot more to worry about, but it's still the the, the elements of touring. Um, but as he mentioned in here, it's like, yeah, that's a big investment. Not only is it a big revenue source, but it's a big investment. And that is maybe your biggest <laughs> investment and you do not want to mess that up. No. So, um, no. And they asked him, you know, what's the most exciting thing or development? And he said, I heard, or maybe I dreamed it, all managers are going up to 50% commission. Now, that's exciting. Now, (laughs) I think he's joking, but remember that other story from your morning coffee that I encourage our uh, listeners to read is how how to, oh, no, that's not the other one. It's should today's uh, artist managers get more than 20%. And uh, after reading all of this, Man, there's a good argument for uh, a different kind of split when it comes to artists and managers because they're not just a manager minding, you know, the touring business. They're helping all around uh, that artist's career. And yeah, maybe they should be paid more. 
Yeah. Well, and as as one of the, the one of the art managers we talked about earlier is is you know it's a it's a business relationship. You know, it is a. I mean, it always has been, but in many ways they are business partners more so now because they're together with your artists exploring so many different avenues and different possible deal arrangements and. Yeah, it's you're a business associate as much as a as a therapist. And <laughs> it, it, right, you're doing everything. Right, right. You are doing everything. Amazing, amazing piece um, in Billboard. Um, just, I, I love their series that they have. This was written by Lindsay Havens or compiled by Lindsay Havens. So well done. A crash yeah. course. A crash course. Easy for you to say in management from the best in the business. Very cool. There you go. Exactly. So, Jay, it is time to wrap up this episode, episode 90, on our March to 100. Very exciting, which we'll hit this summer. Uh, we do want to thank the Music, Music Business Association, Hypebot, and Bands in Town for helping us put the show together and making it all happen for us. Without them, we, without them, we could we not do it. We are sure so. grateful, and I will just do a little teaser that we just landed a, um, a guest for our 100th episode that I'm pretty excited about. Not sure if it's going to be a bonus episode or what that's going to be. Um, but we've got someone who uh, is going to join us and it's going to be pretty exciting. Oh yes. Oh yes. We're very excited about that. So uh, Jay and I certainly also appreciate everyone who subscribes to the podcast and to, to his newsletter as well. And of course for spending time with us because without you all, we could not make it happen. Thank so you. thousand thank yous for all of that. And brother Jay, let us uh, call it a day. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you back next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.